G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Uh, thank you very much, Cecily. Uh, Ephesians is the passage to keep open there in front of you, if you would please. Today we're going to begin a series that focuses on some of Paul's prayers in the New Testament for the churches, for the uh, believers in his day. We're going to start with this one from the, the second half, really, of Ephesians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be focusing in. But before we get there, I'd like us to begin by chewing over these words from Don Carson. He's a, um, uh, what is it, Canadian theologian, um, who is uh, perhaps sort of my favourite living theologian, I think. The way he handles God's Word is... Uh, just spectacular. He has a vocabulary that's a bit too big sometimes, um, but it's um, harnessed for the good of uh, all of his readers, Don Carson. Uh, now, what's he talking about here? He's, he's talking about what, what are some of Paul's assumptions? Uh, what does Paul's prayer reveal about some of his expectations, not just for the Ephesian Christians, but for the Christian life throughout uh, time? And uh, Carson says this, he says, Paul cannot be satisfied with a brand of Christianity that is orthodox but dead, rich in theory of justification but powerless when it comes to transforming people's lives. Paul cannot be satisfied with that brand of Christianity. And friends, uh, through this series and today in particular, I'd like us to chew over this, this question, where where is my Christian life headed? Where is your Christian life headed? Where am I going? Where do we believe uh, our life in Christ is moving as a follower? It's a dynamic concept, isn't it? A follower, a disciple of the risen Lord Jesus. And related to that, how do you mean to get there, wherever there is? And of course, I don't just mean, uh, well, hopefully our lives are headed toward heaven, uh, and I'm kind of hoping that Jesus is how I get there. No, I mean, uh, more practical than that. Let me, let me read that quote again. So, Carson reckons Paul conceives of the Christian life as a thing that lives, right? It moves, it actually goes somewhere. Paul cannot be satisfied with a brand of Christianity that is orthodox but dead, rich in theory of justification but powerless when it comes to transforming people's lives. And my question is, is that us transforming lives? Now, perhaps some of us, some of the time at least, we absolutely want Jesus to be part of our lives, but just a part, <laughs> just one part. Uh, we want our faith to be there and we certainly want the right faith, if we're going to have any faith at all, we want the truth, but transforming our lives. Sounds all a bit much, sounds... Uh, a, a bit grand, it certainly sounds very involved and rather consuming and there are others of us, I think, who love the sound of a life transformed and a living faith and never being satisfied with an orthodox but dead brand of Christianity. Yes, but friends, how do we do it? How do we do it? And uh, where I want us to get to this morning is not just how do we do it but how do we do that together as a church, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and praise for them. So today, Ephesians chapter 1, we'll be picking it up from verse 15 in a few moments' time. Where are we all going and how will we get there? Because uh, here's the thing about prayer, 
our answer to those questions, I believe, will dramatically shape not only our prayers for ourselves, where I'm going, the direction I'm, how I intend to get there, uh, but for those around us and those beyond us and will shape the life that we then strive to live and give ourselves to with one another and to the world around us. Let's pray as we come to God's Word and dwelling on it. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, our gracious Father, our living Saviour, we are here this morning because, at least in part, we don't want to content ourselves with dead orthodoxy, but want to go on to living transformation. And for that, we look to You, our Father. We pray for transformed prayer lives, at the very least, but more than that, Christ-transformed, gospel-informed, others-focused, grace-instilled, whole lives to the glory of Jesus. And for that, we know that we need to turn to You, please. Help us now, for Christ's sake. Amen. Right, so where is our Christian life headed? Where are our uh, together Christian lives going and how do we mean to get there? Uh, Well, to know where we're going, don't you first need to figure out where you are, uh, by which I don't mean uh, let's gaze internally at uh, (laughs) at our personal momentum as people, uh, somehow gauge our maturity or something. No, let's quickly do what Paul does for the Ephesians, uh, the first half of the chapter. Before I ask you where you're heading, uh, Paul, to the Ephesians, I'm going to tell you where you are. I'm going to remind you of where you've come to in the Gospel of the Lord Jesus. In fact, what I'm going to do, Paul does, uh, what I'm going to do is, um, is thank God, not for how far you've come, you spectacular Ephesians, but for, all, but for how far God has brought you uh, there in Ephesus, these Christians. Uh, are we able to share Paul's praise uh, for where he has brought, where God has brought us to? So, let's have a look from verse 3. We won't reread all of it, but we will reread some of it. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, praise be there. And it is such a glowing opening, right? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He, what are are some of the things that God has done? Where has He brought us to? For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us and it just keeps going and going. We need to stop somewhere, so we'll stop there. Uh, we've been brought in, we've been given insight into God's mysterious plans for the entire universe, He goes on to say, verses 10 and 11, or 8 to 10, sorry. Uh, you know, Christian, where history is heading, thanks to Jesus. Uh, verse 11, he's, he's chosen you again uh, with a view to bringing praise to Jesus. That's where God has brought us to already. We're included in Christ, given His Holy Spirit, guaranteed God's own inheritance down to verse 14. Christian brothers and sisters, do you realise this is where you are right now? This is where we're up to in the plans of God. I wonder if we think of ourselves in that light, when we wake up each day, when our head hits the pillow each evening, 
Paul begins with praise, and I believe he begins with praise, not because, well, it's just the proper thing to do, you know, in the sense that uh, perhaps that's how his mum taught him to pray. You know, you've always got to find something to say nice about God before you ask him for anything. (laughs) You don't get that impression at all, that, that, that Paul's just trotting out a formula, do you? That's not the impression you get, no. Isn't it what we said before, this stuff isn't dead orthodoxy, it's transformed Paul's life, his way of looking at himself, his way of looking at the Ephesians and where God has brought them to. Is this where we're up to? Chosen, adopted, predestined, forgiven. God has blessed us, He has chosen you, He has predestined, He has loved us, adopted you. Why has He done those things? Because of His pleasure, because of His will, because of His promises, because He keeps them, because He wanted to. That is where we are, that's where we stand, that's where we begin. Before we talk about progress, let's talk about where we begin. For this reason, verse 15, see that's the background for this prayer, verse 15, for this reason. So friends, if this is where we are, then where are we going and how will we get there? I've got three points, three quick points, the first one's the longest. Uh, We're going to know God, that's where we're going, do you realise that? I know that we already know God, but we're going to know God. Where are we heading? Toward really knowing Him. Verse 15, have a look with me. For this reason, in view of the first 14 verses, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. Let me ask you, do you get the impression that the Ephesians are in the grip of dead orthodoxy? They've got all the right answers, the true doctrines, but they're dead as a doornail when it comes to their faith. Do you get that impression? I think there's a hint in these verses. How do we know? Is that one of our fears, actually? Paul's talking about, you know, a spirit of wisdom and revelation and and knowing God better. Is that one of our fears that we'll, as we delve, say, more and more into God's Word, that it will actually deaden our faith? You know, if we become people who we're there at Bible study every single week, or we're disciplined in our personal devotions, or we're reading books about God and Christ and the Christian life, or we're listening to podcasts, is that where our life becomes? A dead orthodoxy, is that what we're doomed to? Where's the life in that? Verse 15, have a look at verse 15, because it seems that the Ephesians have two things, not just one, But two, did you notice that? Paul says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and, what does it say, and your love for all God's people. They're not just filling their heads with facts, these Ephesian Christians. They're filling lives with love. Oh, informed love, 
love that knows God better and better, intelligent love, faith in the Lord Jesus kind of love. Paul says, where are you going and how are you going to get there? By asking God for more and more and more, verse 17, more of himself, verse 17, I keep asking, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Is that us, brothers and sisters? Is that our heart's desire? Is that where we see ourselves headed? Is that what we strive for? More than that, is that what we desire and pray for one another? I mean, that's what's happening here, isn't it? Paul was praying it for the Ephesian Christians. He wants to see them know God better and better and better. Is that what we're praying for one another as we pray for each other through the week? That you may know Him better and better. Is it the journey that we think one another is on and so help one another toward? Let me push that a bit further. Is that what our Bible study is about? Is that what our family devotions are about? Not just going through the motions. Is it the agenda that we have when we have a chance to minister to one another in our need or in our fears or in our trouble? That you might know Him better. Uh, very quickly, here's Don Carson again. He says, Paul understands that it's, it's ultimately God, God alone, who both reveals, as in reveals himself, and enables us to grasp what he reveals. That is why Paul prays. That is why we must pray. We'll never grow in the knowledge of God the way we ought to if we do not ask God for such things as these. They are fundamental to all of Christian experience and maturation, as in becoming more mature, if they are left out, if they are omitted, everything else we do is little more than playing religious games. What a terrible thought, that our Christian life would be reduced to playing religious games. But I think he's right. Perhaps for some, our Christianity isn't so much about you know, an unquenchable thirst to know God more and more, experience more of Him, to love His people increasingly, as we put it into practice, more prayerfully, expansively, as He reveals Himself graciously. Has my faith become little more than playing religious games? Have I lost or have I never really had a desire to know God better? So, firstly... And most lengthily, as I said, are we heading toward knowing God? Is that the journey that you're on? Is that what we are pursuing together in life, firstly? Uh, Then if you are, then I think you will, we will be an ever-increasingly more hopeful people, secondly. Holding hope in our hearts, is that who we are? Is that where we're headed? Ever-increasingly more hopeful, is that how we live and evidenced in the things we dwell on, the things we say, our outlook in life. I wonder if we could just notice here, when Paul talks about um, our future and our longing, do you get the impression that, uh, that he, just, he doesn't want us to get too far ahead of ourselves because we still need to live in this world? Is that, is that kind of his approach? You know, that if you, if you really hold on to a bright hope for the future, that it might actually lead you to be either depressed or disengaged in the present. Do you know what I mean? 
It's all very well to have something bright and happy to look forward to. My question is, does Paul want the Ephesians just to keep a lid on their hope? Is that his approach? Just tone it down a little bit uh, to help stave off depression in the present or disappointment in the now and uh, or what's going on here around you right now. Uh, not at all. Let's have a look together. We'll pick it up from verse 16, say, together. We'll just read back over from verse 16, where Paul says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people and His incomparably great power for us who believe. I think Paul prays, and is this us, he prays for hopeful Christians, doesn't he? People who are full of hope, informed and intelligent, their head's not in the clouds, but I love that image that's there, verse 18, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Isn't that a delightful kind of an image? The hope that I belong, that we belong together, among God's personal treasures, you know, His inheritance, that we belong amongst His people, that we've got glory just around the corner. Are my eyes enlightened by that hope? Or is it all mere dead orthodoxy, rarely considered doctrinally correct answers? There's a world of difference, isn't there? So, in in these two points, I think Paul is encouraging us to prize very highly a heart and a mind saturated by the Gospel, captivated by the Gospel, isn't he? Marinated in the Gospel. Um, Frank Thielman, he says this, uh, this kind of mindset, it would have transformed life for the original readers of this, for the Ephesian Christians, in their context. You think about their world, politically and religiously, This outlook, it would have transformed things for them and I wonder if it bears dwelling on uh, for us in our context. So, uh, Thielman says, Paul wrote Ephesians to a wide audience of Gentile Christians, Gentile as in not Jewish Christians. They lived in a world where evidence of the power that belonged to the rulers, authorities, world rulers and spiritual forces was all too clear they could see signs of its strength in the political statues and artworks and inscriptions in the markets and on the street corners of their cities. The gods, this propaganda proclaimed, had given Rome the eternal right to rule the universe. To the first readers of Ephesians, perhaps Paul's own troubles were only a grim reminder of the complications the Gospel had introduced into their attempts to live in such a world. See, Paul prays for Christians living complicated lives in a compromised world, in a culture that brings them into conflict and he prays, God, I want them to have hearts enlightened by hope, enlightened by hope. I want their hope to be the stuff of riches and glory and 
and people and God's power. Which leads finally uh, to what I think isn't really the prayer itself. We we describe paragraphs like this as Paul's prayer for the Ephesians um, or whatever, but in a sense, from verse 19 and following, uh, I think what we're looking at is not so much the prayer as the basis for it, the power that sits behind it, uh, the power that drives Paul's prayer in the first place, actually. Or perhaps you could say, in a sense, it's not just the power, but it, it's, it's the truth about God's power that gives him peace, that steadies Paul, enables him to pray such a bold prayer for these Ephesians, as he's captivated by the love of God and the gospel of Jesus, in a world that does face disappointment and, and knowing God comes all very slowly. Uh, but have a look at this power. So, let's read from verse 19. And uh, he says it's like the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Test me on this. I don't think Paul is just saying, look, uh, Jesus has God's power, so everything's going to be all right for you too. Uh, I think he's actually saying God's saving power is on the move and it's been on the move since the resurrection of Jesus. That's how you know that he will see you through, Christian, to knowing him better to uh, the inheritance that's coming. How do you know? Because it's already begun. God is already exerting that power. From verse 19, uh, so uh, the prayer that you may know, uh, His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, Christ's feet, and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. So, the extraordinary thing is, Paul's not just saying, well, which bucket of power will God use to bring us through to our hope? You know, we're heading somewhere and we're going to get there. Which bucket of power is God going to pick up and uh, use for that purpose? Oh, the same bucket of power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead and by which he made Jesus the boss. No, it's the same power in the sense that the resurrection of Jesus, his ascension to rule the earth and our glory in the end with Christ, they're all the same work. It's the same exercise of God's power. Christian, where is your life headed and how do you know it's going to get there? Are you actually in your life heading in that direction, pursuing it, praying in that direction, not just for yourself but for one another, striving with one another toward that destination in Jesus? You are heading toward the reign of the risen Lord Jesus. It might not look like it now as you look around at the world. Look back at the resurrection. Look back at his ascension to power and look forward to what he has prepared because God has lavished that power in Christ for your salvation. That is where you're headed. Are your hearts enlightened by that? Are our minds expanded and assured by that as we dwell on the character of God as he reveals himself to us? 
Verse 23 describes Christ's church as His fullness in a world that is filled with Christ. Where are we heading, brothers and sisters? Toward the glory of Christ and knowing Him, toward a life devoted to, therefore, an empty and hollow world around us being filled by the love of God toward them in the Gospel. Is that what we will be known for, uh, transformed by, prayerful in, hopeful toward, Christ-ruled lives? Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, we know our Saviour lives and He doesn't just live, He reigns. And by His Spirit, He enlightens and educates and informs and transforms. And Father, we want to lead lives that aren't just transformed once, back then when we became Christians, but continually under the transformative influence of Your Spirit. And we want to lead lives that are going where You are leading us, where You are leading our world, toward Christ, toward Yourself, toward a simpler world, in a sense, that is full of life and beauty and goodness and all by Your grace. And so, Father, may that direct our prayer lives, may it direct our personal relationships, may it direct our ministry towards one another and even our private meditation and prayer and sense of purpose in life. And we ask for your help in all of these things to the glory of Jesus. Amen.